This is the Legally Blind Justice Podcast, where we discuss legal issues that fall within the education realm. This podcast is intended to be informational in nature, and some topics may not be suitable for younger audiences. This podcast is for information only and should not be considered legal advice. There is no representation that the legal services to be performed by LOCA are better than the services of other attorneys. There is no guarantee of the outcome. Success is rendered on a case-by-case basis. Welcome back, everybody. This is Tim Markley from K. Altman Law. You are listening to the Legally Blind Justice Podcast. Schools are heading into the fall, and students continue to get into trouble. You may have gotten into a bit of trouble yourself, which is why you are listening to us. You may think you can handle it, but you may be surprised to know that you need a lawyer. At K. Altman Law, we talk to hundreds of people who discover that what they thought was not a big deal is a life-altering event. Students who thought they could work it out with the school are being expelled, suspended, or placed on probation. This podcast will discuss those issues, tell you where to find help, and explain how the system works. This is our sixth episode, and as always, I hope that we continue to improve. But forgive us if we do make some mistakes. Please email comments and suggestions to timothymarkley at kaltmanlaw.com. Today, we are joined by Amy Brown. She is an attorney who specializes in education matters to include Title IX. Before she joined K. Altman Law, she served as a college Title IX coordinator. We're going to talk to her about Title IX and consent. Welcome back, Amy Brown, to the Legally Blind Justice Podcast. Hard to wrap our hands around what consent is. And part of that problem is that the Title IX regulations don't really define consent, do they? No, the federal regulations leave it up to each individual school to define consent to meet its own particular needs of that community. So let's take a look at this from your days as a Title IX person. Typically, when we talk about consent, what are we talking about, particularly as it relates to Title IX? As it relates to Title IX, we are looking for something from the person who's complaining that says that she or he did not give consent. So we have to look at this backwards. Normally, we presume that somebody is innocent. And even though the respondent is considered to be not responsible going into this process, it's up to, and I'm going to use she is the complainant and him as the respondent, because that's 90% of what we see. It's up to him, the respondent, to prove that he did have consent. So he's going to have to say, she said, do this. She said, do that. Or she made this um, gesture or did something that I knew that she was giving me consent for each individual sexual act. So they're looking, so the respondent has to prove by preponderance of the evidence, more likely than not, that the, the victim did something or said something that he thought that he had consent. He couldn't just say, I had a feeling that it was okay. He's got to be able to point to something. He said, she did this or said that, and I 
thought I had consent. So in, in Title IX world, you hear something called the three C's. And continuous, conscious, clear. So, so what's that mean? So Title IX has broken down, and the world of consent has broken down the act of sexual intimacy into stages now. So you need to get clear consent at each stage. A stage is not defined. So the couple should be saying to each other, is this okay? Is that okay? At each point along the way so that they could say, well, she said this and or he said that. So I thought I had consent. And conscious means that if somebody is incapacitated by alcohol, or drugs, for example, that they cannot give consent. If they're passed out, you can't have sex with that person. You're going to get in trouble. So it has to be clear, continuous, conscious consent, which is okay. difficult to get. And as we said, this varies from <laughs> so this varies from school to school. Right. Um, I live in North Carolina, and we have 16 schools that are part of the North Carolina school system. And each one of them has their own definition of what consent is. For example, here's UNC Chapel Hill. Unambiguous, clear, knowing, and voluntary approval given by words or demonstrated by actions to engage in sexual activity. North Carolina State says an informed decision made freely, willingly, and actively by all parties. And so both of those have an element of verbal and nonverbal consent. Right. I think we can all figure out verbal consent. Right. Yes. Go ahead. Great. Do that. Don't do that. Stop. Those are the verbal cues. Right. But what about those nonverbal uh, cues as it relates to consent? So if somebody is reciprocating or initiating I would look at that as consent. So if a complainant starts the process, starts the sexual act, then that would be an act of consent because the complainant started it. Now the complainant can withdraw consent at any point along the act of intimacy, but that is a clear indication of consent. So, and if the complainant continues to participate, reciprocate, initiate, I would consider that to be consent, but we seem to have that all the time with our parties where there's an act, it looks like the complainant consented, and now the respondent's life is in an uproar because of this interlude that took a very short amount of time. To the folks then who are potentially in trouble or going out on a, let's back up to you're going out on a date. What's your advice to a college kid as it relates to consent? Don't go on a date, stay home. Don't do anything. <laughs> don't go anywhere. You're going to get in trouble. Just stay home. If you're going to go on a date, don't have sex. If you're going to have sex, you may want to get a permission slip from the party and in that, which is ridiculous. And one of the schools, even in University of one of the North Carolina schools, says 
in writing. So, but let's look at real world. If you're going to go on a date, you need to say at each step, is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? And if, if somebody says stop, then you stop. Um, and if something goes wrong, don't text about it at all. Don't, because those texts are going to be misinterpreted. And if you're going to go on a date, don't drink alcohol or do drugs. Don't get, if somebody's judgment is impaired, then their ability to consent may be impaired. And you don't want that as a factor. You want to be, as you said in your three C's, you want clear consent, not you don't want their brain polluted with alcohol or drugs. All right, let's talk a little bit about this because we we've, we run into you in, in our business. In a lot of these cases, kids went out to a party, had a beer or two, and they go back and they have and they have a little fun, and the the kid finds himself in trouble. And we get into this issue of how much alcohol does it take to uh, to not to not be giving consent if that makes sense right so if somebody is obviously impaired um i would not have i would not recommend having sex with that person so if your date is stumbling on the way back to the dorm if your date is slurring words if your date is uh having trouble walking, having trouble using the cell phone, stay away. Don't do it because that person may still be able to give consent because if you're intoxicated, you can still consent. If you can interact with your environment, more than likely you could give consent. But I would say that's a, an indicator that there may be trouble brewing in the realm of consent. It's fascinating how two people can be intoxicated, think that they're, one person thinks that there's a sexual act, the other person does not, and they see this one act so radically differently, and it's because they bring their own um, background to this act. So one person might think that it was all fine, the other person thinks it's sexual assault. So it is really fraught with with danger and here you're just trying to have an expression of intimacy or love or passion and it could go horribly horribly wrong and and your career could be affected you think you're going down one path and it's taken away from you the path is just closed to you because of that one particular incident it's horrifying for these respondents that that the system is basically set up against them. And, you know, we have got to come out swinging to try to defend them in these situations and really get them to go over each and every moment of that act to find where the consent was so that they can articulate the reason that they thought that they had consent. There's an old expression that says discretion is the better part of valor. And it sounds like you're saying that if you think that the person you're out with that evening is even remotely impaired, then 
be the gentleman or be the lady, walk that person home, lock them in their room, and wait until another time. Exactly. Exactly. And that may be the last thing that you want to do, but if you want to protect yourself, you know, hear us and hear us well, don't do it. If you're going to leave your room, don't do it. Um, it's heartbreaking to see what happens as a result. When you're a college freshman and you roll into orientation, colleges are going to spend a lot of time talking about Title IX. They're, they are obligated to, to the point where you're actually going to start tuning it out. But it's critical that you look at those university rules and see what is allowed and not allowed. Because just like you, like you said, when you look at the three North Carolina schools that we looked at, they each had three very different rules. East Carolina, which you reference, explicit approval to engage in activity demonstrated by clear actions, words, or writings. I mean, that's very different than NC State's an informed decision made freely, willingly, and actively. So you, you've got to know what those rules of the, the rules of engagement are before you head out on a to a party or start to date. And there's some things that, when you look at it, uh, that that consent is not. You cannot gain consent by force, threats, intimidation. You can't. It's not inferred by silence or a lack of resistance. Expand on that a little bit, because oftentimes we hear, "Well, she didn't say no." Right. Which is, and it, do you notice how much easier it is to define what consent is not than what it is? So if somebody, let's, I'm going to go back to female as the complainant responded as the male. So if the female doesn't say anything and doesn't stop your advances, that doesn't mean that you've got consent to continue. Nothing is said and nothing is basically done. You can't point to something and say, well, she said, oh, that feels good. Or she said, let me, I can't get your pants off. Will you please help me? Or she took your pants off. If you don't have those, then, you know, you've got a problem. So mere silence is not consent. Inaction is not consent. Another one. Consent cannot be implied by attire or the money spent on that date. Taking someone to dinner does not imply consent and paying for it does not imply consent. Right. Right. And and um, the person may be dressed in lingerie, but that does not mean any that doesn't mean consent. All right. And here's an important one. Uh, this applies probably more to the K-12 world than the college world. A minor can never give consent. Right. A minor um, cannot give consent some, at all. And it's interesting that we're getting more of those K-12, K-12 cases. We're getting more and more of those mm -hmm. fifth graders, kindergartners being charged with Title IX violations. They don't even know what sex is, but they've kissed somebody or touched somebody or, you know, done something silly with a pencil with their, their friends. And they're being charged with Title IX violations. So the pendulum has swung to the point of ridiculousness. What about an, another area where, you, where it says you can't give consent is... I've dated somebody for six months and we've had a great relationship. And one time 
down the road, I decide that I want something to happen and she doesn't. So if she doesn't, then she doesn't. And that's not consent. And even if you had dated for six months and you've had sex six times, the seventh time doesn't mean that you have consent just because of those previous six interactions. You have got to have consent for that particular interaction at that stage. And as you said, it's got to be the three C's, clear, conscientious, continuous. At each stage, you need to get an identifiable assent to the act. And it's important to remember that consent can be withdrawn at any time by either party. Absolutely. Absolutely. So once the there is a no or no affirmative um, action or words, consent is withdrawn. And please, please, please stop. And this, I think this is important for folks to understand because you and I have both done Title IX hearings and that idea of what's consent is and what isn't consent is seems to be at the heart of 75% of the Title IX cases that, that we deal with. Right. And um, I know you can get caught up in the moment, but it's really critical that both parties have a clear understanding of what's going on. Yes. And it's important that if alcohol is involved, we go back to that, is the person impaired? And if they're impaired, then you really should stop and wait. Absolutely. It's a little bit of fun is, is a hard price to pay for losing a college degree, for being expelled, for not getting into that grad school, law school, or medical school as you wanted to get into. Right. Um, Right. Cooler heads do need to prevail. No, you. We. So the take home uh, message is if you're going to leave your dorm room, which we're telling you not to, if you're going to go into a party, which we're telling you not to do, if you're going to date and we're telling you not to date, then you have got to be so careful because we have seen friends turn on basically turn on somebody and report a sexual assault. And the respondent is like, is thinking to himself, where did this come from? I thought we were friends. I thought we, we consented to this act. You know, you started it. You climbed on top of me and he's not going to be in the air force now because of a misunderstanding. So consent is so important. Be clear headed, be almost boring and mechanical about it because you've got to protect yourself. Yeah, and I, and I can remember uh, a case that we did where some the, these two folks had dated for uh, quite a while and broke up, and it was almost a year past the time that they split up that the Title IX complaint was filed. And part of that complaint was that the respondent intimidated her into having sexual relations. And so we went back to that issue of consent. What what was consensual, what wasn't, even though they had had a long relationship and were active throughout most of that relationship, this issue will still come back to you and potentially be a, a, a problem for you. And I'm not saying that there is not sexual assault on campus. I'm not saying that at all because that does happen. 
that is not the type of case that we're talking about here. We're talking about you think that you've got consent. This is, you know, an act that you thought that somebody was enjoying um, and it goes horribly wrong. This is not you. There is there are horror stories galore about former um, boyfriends and girlfriends reporting each other. It's it's so fraught with danger and it's only going to get worse if the new rules go into effect as they're written now. So it's so important to have somebody by your side who could say, who could say, all right, let's take a step back. Let's go back and re-examine these interactions that you've had with other, this other person and help us, let us help you. Amy, thank you for being with us today. We look forward to bringing you back to discuss other student defense issues in greater detail. We encourage everyone who is listening to know what their school rules are regarding consent and to follow those rules. Finally, if you get into trouble, you should seek professional advice. The school or university has complex rules, policies, and procedures to govern their processes. They have a legal staff to advise them, and you should as well. Thank you for listening to the Legally Blind Justice podcast. If you have a legal question, give us a call at one 888 or check us out on the web at kaltmanlaw.com.